Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 139 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined by the man that is returning. It's Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, welcome back. How are you? I'm very good. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. We missed you on half of last week's show. Of course, you were there for the preview part. You were there for part two. But part one, I was doing it all on my own. So it's good to have you back. Let's start, though, with the reviewing from last week. There is quite a bit to go over. We're going to start, though, in Illinois, in a, a venue called the Allstate Arena in Rosemont, USA. Two fights to mention on this bill, actually. Um, the brother of Kubrat Pulev, Tavel Pulev, he moved to 11-0. and 0. It was a TKO in round one against Armando and Connor, who's now 8-8 eight and eight with two draws. Like I say, Tavel Pulev now 11-0. and 0. The main event over here, though, Mike Lee, he moved to 21-0. and 0. He also picked up the vacant WBO, NABO light heavyweight title. In the other corner was Jose Hernandez, 19-3. and 3. His record now 19-4. and 4. He's also got one draw. That was a unanimous decision over 10 rounds. So Mike Lee marches on another win under his belt there. Moving over now, though, to the Turning Stone Resort and Casino in Verona, New York, USA. Uh, one fight to mention over here, really, it was a uh, golden boy boxing card. Diego De La Hoya, he moved to 21-0. and 0. He successfully defended his NABF Super Bantamweight title and also his WBO NABO Super Bantamweight title. In the other corner, Jose Salgado, 36-4 and 4 with two draws. Actually, Salgado retired on his store after seven rounds. He didn't want to come out for round eight. So quite an impressive looking win there for Diego De La Hoya. A man that I guess, when he's really standing stepped up the level he hasn't really been knocking people out he's kind of I think people are criticizing him because he doesn't really carry that power up when the levels go up in terms of the opponents and he manages here to get a retirement so a KO win officially there so good a good win for him moving over now though to um, Belgium actually one fight to mention over here, a rival, I'm sure, for the future of Katie Taylor. This woman's name, Delphine Persoon. She moved to 41-1. and She successfully defended her WBC World Female Lightweight title in the other corner, Natalia Aguirre, I think it said. She now has a record of 8-11 and with three draws. I know that that sounds quite poor for a world title fight, but of her 11 losses, she's never been stopped. So, to be honest... She may be one for Katie Taylor, someone that can take Katie the distance, um, especially in a 10-rounder. That would be quite good for Katie. But other than that, I'd like to see the unification here. Um, moving over now to Germany, one fight to mention over here. Philipp Hergovic, that's of course the 2016 Olympic bronze medalist in the heavyweight division. He moved to 5-0. and He TKO'd in round four his opponent, Filiberto Tovar, who was actually undefeated himself, 9-0. and He's now 9-1. Hergovic takes his O there. Um, I believe Hergovic has knocked everybody out he's faced apart from one man. And that man, of course, being 
Mr. Big Sexy Sean Turner, who we will be speaking about in just a moment's time. Moving over now, though, to Germany, another part of Germany. This is happening, or this happened, I should say, in Saxon. Um, what do we have over here? Enrico Colin, former world light heavyweight title challenger. He moved to 26 wins. He's got two losses. It was a unanimous decision over eight rounds against Andrej. Poku Miko, who's now 17 and 14 with one draw, a relatively easy win there for Colin over eight rounds unanimously. Moving up the bill once again, the main event here, Jack Kulkai, he picked up win number 24, he's got three losses, he also won the previously vacant EBU European Union middleweight title. In the other corner, Adasat Rodriguez, 17 and 7, now 17 and 8 with two draws, a TKO in round 6 for Jack Kulkai. Moving over now, though, to Manchester Arena. Of course, this bill was branded. He's back because it was the return of the Gypsy King, but we will get onto that fight in just a moment. Um, the undercard here, let's just run through this. A couple of fights that weren't televised. Zelfa Barrett, he returned to the ring after, of course, losing his O to Ronnie Clark. He managed to pick up win number 20. He's, of course, got that one loss, and it was a points win over eight rounds against Edwin Tellez, who's quite a tough journeyman, actually. So um, quite a good thing, I suppose, there for Zelfa to get the rounds in, an eight-round points win for him. Uh, also on the bill, this one was televised. It was the first fight on the live card. Nathan Gorman, 12-0, and 0, took on big, sexy Sean Turner, a man that had a record of 12-2. and 2. It's now 12-3. and 3. And going into this fight, he'd never been knocked out. His two losses were by a decision. And like I say, one of them was to Hergovic, the Olympic bronze medalist and quite a big puncher himself. He couldn't knock out big, sexy Sean Turner Boy, oh boy, I as Nathan Gorman showed out here and managed to get the TKO in the third round. How impressive is that? Seeing as an Olympic bronze medalist couldn't do that. He could not get the guy out of there when he fought him. And Nathan Gorman did it in as early as three rounds. That's quite a statement there. He moves to 13-0. and 0. Um, Nathan Gorman stays undefeated. Very, very impressive. Um, we all went to the Prediction League and all said it was going to be a knockout, even though I was a little bit sceptical on the basis that this guy, Big Sexy Sean Turner, had never been stopped. And I don't think Nathan Gorman's the biggest one-punch knockout artist. However, he systematically broke his man down and looked very impressive. Ayers, what did you make of um, of Nathan Gorman's performance? Uh, yes, Nathan Gorman, well done to him. I mean, obviously, he did a very, he performed very, very good. I mean, what a knockout he did and what a statement he did, obviously. Now, the fight that everyone's going to be looking forward to is him, hopefully, versus Dubois in the future. Yeah, for sure. The fight itself, though, I mean, Gorman started very well. Straight away, he was really letting his hands go, especially his left hand, actually. He's, he's really showcased some brutal left hooks to the body, especially. He was going to the head as well, but he just seemed to be landing uppercuts as early as the first or second round, and he was able to bloody um, Sean Turner's nose in the very first round. In the second round, we saw more of the same, really, from Gorman, and in the last few seconds, of course, he dropped Turner with a peak of a right uppercut that travelled a long way from the waistline pretty much right up to you know up to up to Turner's chin and Gorman really pushed off the canvas with it he really you know threw the shot right through his legs he really pushed through his feet and 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 hit him with a real 
peach of a right uppercut, like I say. And Turner did kind of get saved by the bell in that second round. In the third round, of course, the final round, Gorman came out looking for Turner and just completely swarmed him. And after some one-way traffic and a little bit of a beatdown, the referee jumped in and saved Sean Turner. So an unbelievable statement, like I say there, from Gorman. The bookies thought it would actually go the distance this fight here. Of course, Turner, like I said... He'd never been stopped before. He'd never even been down. And Gorman, you know, like you said, Ayaz, he actually wants that Dubois fight. Straight after the fight, he was calling him out pretty much. And you can't blame this kid. I mean, he's ticking all the boxes. He's not afraid to call out these other guys. And he's still a young guy himself. And he seems like a guy that has got such a bright future, but he's not afraid at all to mix it straight away. So he's everything that, you know, true boxing fans appreciate. So I'd like to wish him all the very best, to be honest. Moving up the bill once again, Mark Heffron moved to 20-0. and 0. He also picked up the WBC International Middleweight title. He took on Andrew Robinson, a former foe of Frank Buglioni. His record now 21-4 with one draw. I was expecting a bit of a war, really. Um, but, you know, Mark Heffron was just able to negate everything that Andrew Robinson did. And I believe that's quite a statement there for Heffron. Because it was a bit of a step up in class for him, I thought. And he just completely dealt with his man here. So, very impressive win there. A six-round TKO. Also on the bill, we saw James Metcalf. He took on Ita Nieto. It was for the vacant WBC International Super Welterweight title. Once again, James Metcalf in some ways stepping up in class here and he managed to get the TKO late on in the 12th and final round so a brilliant win for Metcalf as well so uh, another prospect for the future certainly to watch he's now 18-0 and 0. and what will we talk about first Terry Flanagan's fight I think Terry Flanagan of course 33-0 and 0. he was of course the longest unbeaten streak of all the current British boxers of course 33 Three and oh, he fought here for the vacant WBO World Super Lightweight title in the other corner. Maurice Hooker, 23 and oh, with three draws. Once again, I, as like I said on last week's show. When the first fight didn't happen on the 14th of April, we all kind of had a little bit of extra time to look at Hooker. And I think a lot of people with that added time actually thought, you know what, this guy is not just one of those talked up Americans. This guy actually has got a little something about him. And um, I mean, what we saw in the the fight itself, it was a cagey opening few rounds, I felt. I think that both men were just kind of jabbing. They weren't really doing much else. It was very cautious from either guy. And no one was really taking any risks. I felt that Flanagan was actually trying to show a bit of intent. He was looking to double up occasionally with the straight jab and the backhand to the body of Hooker. When Flanagan sustained that gash, though, on his forehead, and he he also had a cut eye, both of those in the same round from head clashes, very unlucky, the fight then really changed, and I felt that Terry had to get... I suppose he got a little bit desperate. He had to kind of dig deep there, and Terry... um, had to kind of definitively take control and put the pressure on to Hooker, but it just didn't really happen. Hooker didn't get over eager. Hooker boxed cleverly and allowed Flanagan to come to him. And it was a really close fight going into the championship rounds, but I just felt that Terry Flanagan didn't seem like himself in there. And of course, 
you know, Maurice Hooker, to his credit, he's a big, tall guy, very rangy, and he fought a very smart fight. He stuck to a game plan, and he deserved the win, in my eyes, ultimately, over 12 rounds. So, um, real hard luck, actually, for Terry Flanagan, because I really did like the guy. I mean, he's he's one of those guys, like I say, that um, he doesn't really have the one-punch knockout power. He's not a knockout artist. And for that reason, he can kind of get knocked a little bit. He doesn't really have the buzzing personality. And I remember that we had him on the show. It was a couple months back now before the first fight was supposed to happen. And he actually came out of his shell. And I thought, you know what? There's a lot to like about this guy. He kind of opened up to me a little bit. And he, you know, he certainly gained a fan in me. I was already a fan of him before that, to be honest. But I really liked him a lot more after speaking to him kind of thing. And I'm very saddened for him. Because like I say, Frank Warren was so happy that he actually owned the guy with the longest unbeaten streak. Because it was actually at one point Kel Brook. And then, of course, he lost to Gennady Golovkin. And that was that. And then it was Terry Flanagan. Well, now, Terry Flanagan, of course... Um, losing losing his O. He couldn't move to 34-0. He was 33-0. Um, the longest um, unbeaten streak now of all the current British fighters is actually Josh Warrington, unbelievably. Because, of course, he upset the odds against Lee Selby. He's now 26-0. So he's now um, the fighter with the longest unbeaten streak. And he, of course, is also with Frank Warren. So for Frank, it's not the worst thing in the world. And I think number two is, if I'm not mistaken, I think that is Billy Joe Saunders. I think he's on... Sorry, I think I've got that wrong. I think Billy Joe Saunders is 26-0, and and I think Josh Warrington's 27-0. and I believe that's right. I'm going to check after, but I believe that's right. So, still, Frank has got the top two, and I think even maybe Tyson Fury's now 25-0, and something like that. So, I think he's got the top three undefeated streaks, and then I think Cal is about 24-0, and so Eddie Hearn gets his guy in there as well. But, yeah... I felt very, very bad for um, for Terry Flanagan. I had, and not to go too much off topic, I'm just going to throw it over to you. Really, um, lackluster performance in some ways. He just couldn't really get into his groove against Hooker. Like I say, we didn't know too much about the guy, but he was a lot better than a lot of top people actually gave him credit for going in. Well done to him. Obviously, he's performed. Uh, he performed very good on the night. But I mean, unlucky. Flanagan's done very good. Obviously, he's fell a bit short. But I think, um, obviously, from that loss, he'll learn, and I think he'll, he'll come back again and, and strong, and I think he can still become a two-way world champion. I certainly hope so. Um, I'm not sure if there's any calls for a rematch. I'm not too sure, but, you know, you've kind of look, got to look at that 140 division now, and it's kind of hotting up quite a bit. I mean, obviously, he was moving up in weight, and I don't really know if 140 suits him physically or not. He will know the answer to that question uh, more than more than most, or more than everyone, really. And um, I just don't know. There's not many opportunities now at 140, obviously. There was when, when Terence Crawford vacated all the belts, but they've they've all kind of... You know, the opportunities have kind of opened up and they've all, the doors have all very quickly closed. I mean, like I say, we've got Regis Progray there, you've got the likes of Josh Taylor really closing in now. And um, I just don't know if there's going to be an opportunity for him, but I hope so. But I think the best thing for him is probably the rematch. He would need to fight a lot better than he did in that fight on the weekend. But I think that's probably the, you know, the easiest option for him to get back in, uh, you know, into the 
into the world title mix. But at the moment, I mean, on that performance, I don't think people are desperate to watch his next fight just based on that, unfortunately. So very hard luck there for Terry Flanagan now. And like I say, all the very best to Maurice Hooker now. 24-0 and with three draws, an unbeaten world champion. He's certainly achieved his dream. I think he's got eight children. They'll all be happy. It was a split decision over 12 rounds. Very questionable, that actually, because in my eyes, it was clearly a unanimous decision for Maurice Hooker. One dodgy scorecard, in my opinion, there. And the return, like I say, of the Gypsy King, Tyson Fury. He's now 26-0. I made a mistake saying it was 25. He's now 26-0. His opponent retired on his store after four rounds. Um, it was a little bit of a joke, really, as wasn't it? I mean, Tyson Fury, we all were happy to see him back. When he actually fought on the night, he didn't seem to be in the best of shape. I know he weighed in about 19 stone 10, which was a little bit surprising. He seemed like he was a little bit more trim than that before he took his top off. Um, there's still more weight to come off him, of course. There is still more um, more time for him to get into proper shape. And it was really a victory in itself just to see him back in the ring um, after all that time out. Because he did, of course, have to face some serious adversities. And he's come through that. And just to see him in the ring it was just a brilliant thing, wasn't it, Ayers? He's come back after a long layoff after beating Vladimir Klitschko. And obviously he's been through that. Uh, he didn't they say he didn't he went through depression at one point as well? Yeah, yeah. You went through depression. I mean, a lot of things happened to him in his life. So, I mean, I give it. I'll give him credit. Do you know why? Um, we know that for a fact it wasn't the best performance with him. Okay, at the start it was a bit funny when he you saw him he kissed him run in the lips of the fight broke up in the crowd and obviously Tyson Fury was looking around. Um, you can see he's still not in good. He's in shape, but he's still not. He's still got a lot of weight to lose. Now, from my opinion, obviously, I um when I looked at when I saw the fight with Tyson Fury, yeah, it, it, for him it was just like he was just messing about. It was like he just wanted to be back in the ring. You can see he's got that back and desire in the ring. Obviously, like we um obviously he was just playing about with uh, Safari, but at the end of the day, um at, in the fourth round, Safari uh, they pulled him out. Uh, he didn't want to go forward. I think in the next two three fights we're gonna see the best Tyson Fury. We're gonna see the Tyson Fury that we knew uh, when he fought in the past. That's the Tyson Fury we're going to see coming back. This is just a Tyson Fury that's just needed to get a bit of ring rust. Obviously, we're going to see him fight on the undercard of Carl Frampton, which is going to be even, which is going to give him more, which is going to clear a lot of that ring rust. So I think um, this was, a, I think this is a good, okay fight for him. Obviously, just um, the guy who thought was at cruiserweight and moved up to heavyweight. A lot of people say it was a joke fight. In my opinion, I was, I don't think it was a joke fight because I think it was just a warm up fight for Tyson Fury. But his next fight, we're going to see the best. I think we're going to see a more improved Tyson Fury, and I think his his weight's going to, we're going to see. Uh, Fury lose a lot more weight. Yeah, we all certainly hope so. As um, the fight, like you say, I mean, you know, it was he, he was just messing around a lot, and it was funny because he is a real character, and he doesn't have to try to be a character. It just comes natural to him. Obviously, the kiss in the middle of the ring before the fight started. I mean, that was just crazy. And then there was a fight, like you said, that broke out in the crowd. Both fighters actually stopped and watched the fight. I mean, it was just so bizarre. The referee had to do his thing and tell them to both, you know, pack it in and both, you know, take the fight seriously. But Tyson, I think, was also battling a little bit of nerves. He's been out the ring for, you know, like you say, a long, long time now. And... um, 
you know, it was quite a dangerous fight, to be honest. I know some people are saying, well, this guy's a cruiserweight. This guy is not even the best cruiserweight in his family because apparently he's, he's got a brother who's also a better cruiserweight than him, which does sound really pathetic. But this guy had only lost once. It was by decision. It wasn't a knockout. I don't think he'd ever been down. And um, really and truly, I don't think he was taking that much of a punishment, really, from Tyson. I mean, he didn't land a glove on Tyson, and he was really kind of being made to to look a bit of a fool, wasn't he? I mean, he was just in there to get humiliated, really. Tyson was just laughing at him, and he just couldn't land a punch. And I think he ended up getting quite frustrated, and it seemed like he actually quit himself rather than his corner pulling him out. Um... So yeah, not not Tyson's fault at all, but not really the conclusion to the fight that we wanted to see. Um, he didn't really take your breath away, Tyson, with an ice-cold knockout where you'd say, wow, he needs to fight Joshua really quick. It wasn't that kind of win. It wasn't that kind of fight. And if he does lose a little bit more weight and he gets in there, like you say, on, on Carl Frampton's undercard and fights somebody who we have heard of before and looks good, then of course we'll all be jumping for joy because we do want to see him back and he really does have... Um, you know, more skills on his day than any of the other top guys in the heavyweight division. So we all want to see him back. We all wish him the best. But that fight there was quite comical. And what else can we really expect from Tyson Fury? He come back and we were all eager to see how he'd get on. And he made us laugh and he won every round and he didn't even take a shot. So um, I'm sure that wouldn't have done him too much harm physically. And like I say, he'll be out again um, very soon in a matter of weeks. And hopefully, you know, he, he gets out a few times and we get to see him a few times this year. So uh, all the very best to Tyson Fury. The most the most important thing is that he's back in the ring and he's back happy. That is what we all want. Um, what I will say, just before we move on from this card here, we all did a few predictions. Of course, we all predicted for Flanagan to win on points. That went horribly wrong for all three of us. Um, I went with a Gorman KO. So did you, guys. So did the listeners. So we all gained a point there. And I, very ballsy, went with Fury to win on points. Um, you went with Fury by knockout, so did the listeners, so you both gained a point there, I was kicking myself about that, to be honest, in my defence, Tyson Fury didn't really look like he was going to actually stop the guy, actually knock the guy out or anything like that, it seemed like the guy quit, and he kind of robbed me really for my, uh, for my point there, I think he would have just lost a complete, complete shutout really, but yeah, it was what it was, um, no no crying over spilt milk for me. Moving over now, though, to the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California, USA. This is a bill that I actually didn't watch, to be honest, I don't know if you saw any of this. We were supposed to have Mimi on the show, but she's had some technical difficulties. She was actually covering this card for us, so it's all gone wrong at the last minute, and she couldn't be with us this week, but... um. I'm just going to have to read out the results. Did you manage to see anything of this card, Ayaz, or not? Unfortunately, I didn't see any of the card. Obviously, they didn't show it live on TV, unfortunately. No, not in the UK. But yeah, running through the results, Jamel Charlo moved to 31-0. He successfully defended his WBC Super Welterweight title. It ended up being a majority decision over 12 rounds against the wily veteran Austin Trout, now 31-5. and Could be a last chance saloon for Austin Trout now. I'm not quite sure where he goes from here. Um, he's lost to... Who's he lost to now? He's lost to all the current champions, hasn't he? I think he's lost here to Jamel. Charlo, he lost to Hurd, um, obviously lost once upon a time to Lara. Uh, who's the other champion at, at 154 that I'm forgetting? 
Oh, the guy that beat Saddam yes. Ali. Oh boy, yeah. I don't think you'd want to put Austin Trout in with him. I mean, it's 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 just a real tough division for Austin Trout, to be honest. Um, I don't know where he goes from here. I think he is officially a gatekeeper now, and um, it just is what it is. I mean, Trout was down in round three. He was also down in round nine. Like I say, from what I've heard, it was a disgraceful um, scorecard turned in by one of the judges to say it was a draw. The other two judges, thankfully, overruling that, and it ended up being, like I say, a majority decision. But I'm hearing it really should have been a unanimous decision. Some people actually saying that Austin Trout should have got the victory. So there was some real subjective scoring on social media. But um, yeah, Jamel Charlo, once again, beats another name here. He's seriously on a run now. But one thing that did actually end was his run of knockouts. I, though, went with Charlo to win on points. So I was really happy when I gained the point there. You went with Charlo by knockout. So did the listener. So I was jumping for joy about that one. And the main event here, Leo Santa Cruz, the rematch against Abner Mares. I know that this will be a fight you'll definitely catch up on, as I know that you watched the first fight and liked it. But yeah, Leo Santa Cruz won this time more definitively. He won by a unanimous decision this time over 12 rounds. It was, of course, for the WBA Super World Featherweight title and the WBC Diamond featherweight title was also on the line as well believe it or not leo santa cruz now 35 and 1 with one draw abnamares 31 and 3 with one draw one thing to mention that santa cruz was cut on his left eye from a legal punch in round eight a bit of a cut there for leo santa cruz um one fight we'd we'd all like to see as in the featherweight division i know that um, Leo Santa Cruz now has been called out by quite a few guys. I know that Oscar Valdez said that he'd like to fight him next. We'd all like to see Gary Russell Jr. in the mix between those two as well. Um, who would you favour out of those three guys if they did somehow all fight each other? I'm going to go with Santa Cruz, but the fight I really, really, really want to see back is Carl Frank with Santa Cruz number three, because I think that's a tremendous fight again. Oh, I should also mention, he's been another guy that threw his name in the hat as well. So everybody wants to fight Leo Santa Cruz right now. Um, like I say, the scorecards were 117-111, 116-112, and 115-113. So not really um, an absolute landslide. Still quite a relatively close fight. Um, just like the first one. But yeah, that's it from the Staples Centre. Me, you and the listeners all agreed with Santa Cruz on points, so we all gained a point there. And moving over now to the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. There is, of course, a couple fights to mention on this bill. Um, Shakur Stevenson moved to 7-0. and It was a TKO in round 2 against Elio Mesquita. 16-2 and now. Like I say, a TKO in round 2 for Shakur Stevenson. A man that's been um, getting criticised a little bit for not really having that power. Well, he's certainly turned the critics round. He's managed to put two knockouts together in a row, and both in the second round, by the way. Um, he's also got another knockout in the second round, two fights before that. So three of his last four fights have all ended in TKO in the second round, so he certainly likes round two, Mr. Shakur Stevenson. His opponent 
in his one loss previously was knocked out in the fifth round against Nathaniel May, another prospect. So, so a little bit of a measuring stick comparison there from me. Um, also on this bill, moving up once again, we had Jose Benavidez. He moved to 27-0. and It was a KO in the very first round against Frank Rojas, who was previously undefeated 22-0, and I believe, with 21 knockouts, if I'm not mistaken. Now, this just goes to show... Um, how an absolute padded record and an absolute, um, you know, almost a, just a complete padded record, like a fake winning record. Like, it's not fake because he actually got the wins, but this was a, you know, this was a guy who had a stunning looking record. But when you look deeper, you understand that he's really beating guys who are absolutely terrible to get these wins. And he got completely and utterly exposed here really bad. I did say, I mean, we didn't do predictions about it, but I did say that Benavidez will probably knock him out, and oh my god, I didn't expect it in the first round in the fashion that he did it. What an absolute fantastic win there, and of course, he was on the same bill as Terence Crawford, who he's wanted to fight for quite a while, so that really just adds a little bit more fuel to the fire there. Yeah, breathtaking finish from Jose Benavidez, the brother of David Benavidez, the undefeated super middleweight world champion so brilliant stuff there for Jose um moving up the bill once again we had Maxim Dadashev he moved to 11 and 0 it was a TKO in the 10th and final round against Dalis Perez a fight where Dadashev was was um probably just about winning it was quite a closest fight really so hard luck there for Dalis Perez that one was for the NABF super lightweight title that was vacant at the time of the fight now of course with Dadashev 11 and 0 Jose Pedraza former world champion he moved to 24 and 1 it was a really 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 close fight though all three judges turning in the exact same scorecard 96 to 94 in favor of Pedraza unanimous decision there over 10 rounds it was for the WBO Latino lightweight title in the other corner Antonio Moran 23 and 3 now his previous two losses came to Emmanuel Lopez and a guy called Luis Vidales who um, is not a great fighter at all so quite a surprisingly close fight there from Jose Pedraza of course it's his second fight with top rank there but he really hasn't looked himself since losing to Javante Davis um, he hasn't really fought great opposition either, but you know I don't know what that's about. He seems like he slipped a little bit, really. And the main event, of course, Jeff Horn, 18 and 0 with one draw. He put his WBO World Welterweight title on the line against Terence Crawford. Terence Crawford, of course, 32 and 0, moving up in weight here against the very big Jeff Horn. It was a TKO in round nine in favour of Terence Crawford. He ripped away the WBO World Welterweight title here from Jeff Horn, who was coming off a brilliant win over Manny Pacquiao. Um, like I say, the TKO came in round nine, but the scorecards at the time of the stoppage, of course, they you know the, the judges scored the first eight rounds. They had Terence Crawford completely winning every single round, and I, as boy, oh boy, did he completely dominate Jeff Horn. Yes, what a win by Terence Crawford. He was in, obviously in the ninth round. Terence Crawford, what can I say about him? This guy keeps improving and improving and improving. Obviously, we see him uh, became undisputed uh, off the light. Well, we division moved up and beat Jeff Horn. First of all, Jeff Horn failed to make weight at the start. And obviously, on the night, Jeff Horn didn't even win a single round, from my opinion. Crawford just beat him. And you can see the combat in the ninth round. Obviously, the way combination just 
the way his combinations movement it just beat him I think Crawford in my opinion is a star and I think we're going to see him rule the division I think there'll be two, two, two rulers in the world division it'll be him and Errol Spence Jr and I'll, that's a fight I'd like to see in the future yeah, we all want to see that fight, but let's also not overlook Keith Furman, who, in my opinion, has done enough, really, to sit at the number one spot, even if it is just temporarily. Um, the fight itself, I mean, Crawford was on the back foot in the early rounds. Horn, with his unconventional style, his coming-forward style, and his aggressive um, style, was being slightly outsmarted in the first round. It was quite a... I don't want to say close round, because it wasn't, but he was just... He was losing it, but not by a mile at that point. Um, Not too much happened really in round two. It was another Crawford round. In the third round, the fight really caught light, and Crawford was just showing the difference in class, really. He does everything so well. I mean, he can can just adapt to basically any style. He really has it all. And by the mid-part of the fight, it was just all Crawford. It really was. And um, Horn seemed like he was slowing down. Horn seemed like he was running out of ideas and running out of gas, really. It was like. Uh, it was just like playing a video game for the first time and forgetting to change the difficulty level to beginner. I mean, it was just one fighter in there that that was just ultimately world-class and the other fighter that just seemed like he didn't really know what he was doing almost. And it seems mad to say that about Jeff Horn. Crawford was just in a complete you know, a complete different league to him. He had 100 times the amount of skills that Jeff Horn had. And Robert Bird was constantly telling Horn off for seemingly nothing. I didn't really like that. That was getting on my nerves a little bit. I didn't think that the interventions from the referee were really needed. It was such a one-way beatdown anyway. And Horn is, he's basically a brawler. He doesn't really have a great jab. He does things like leads with a straight right hand and stuff like that. And Crawford's just too athletic. He's too clever to to do that with and Horn was just too predictable too readable and too one-dimensional for Crawford Crawford never seems to make any mistakes he's so sharp for every fight um, and for the whole fight of every fight as well and I think that Jeff Horn's sloppy footwork like I said last week He's tough as nails. He's an overachiever in terms of the fact that he, you know, he's actually a school teacher by trade, and he did so well to beat Pacquiao. But um, he's a stubborn fighter, and in the end, it just wasn't to be for him. I mean, he he got in there with a prime Crawford, even though he was moving up in weight. It's a prime Crawford, and Crawford was just a complete different animal in there, and. Um, Horn was receiving bad advice in the corner from his trainer, Glenn Rushton, who I think was brilliant for the Pacquiao fight. He seemed like he ran out of ideas himself. He had no real advice for him. He just kept saying, you've got to dig deep, and there wasn't anything behind that advice. And like I say, in round eight, Crawford really put it on Horn, and he almost dropped him. Robert Bird asked Horn to show him something at the beginning of the ninth round. A little bit early, I felt, for that. Even though he was losing every round, it wasn't like he was in any trouble at that point. And, um, yeah, I mean, Horn, like I say, tired late on against Pacquiao. The same thing kind of happened here. And we've got a very fit, very, uh, you know, systematic fighter in, in Terence Crawford that completely obliged to that. And Horn, like I say, touched down in the ninth round. And when he got back up, he took a few more clean shots before referee Robert Bird jumped in and stopped the fight. Brilliant win for Crawford. Like I say, he's a freeweight world champion now. He's still undefeated. And in some of these moments of the fights, he just seems unbeatable. He truly does. I know that no one is unbeatable, but he looks so, so brilliant in there. Um, 
one thing I will say about Jeff Horn, I've heard that they're you know the whole team really want a rematch. That is a fight I do not want to see. Nobody, nobody, nobody at all wants to see that fight. I wouldn't want to see that fight if I was paid to watch it. I do not want to see a rematch. It was a one-way complete shutout, and I was a little bit annoyed because I went with Terence Crawford to win on points. And to be honest, even though he did get dropped in that ninth round, he was kind of. You know, he was tough enough, really, to to soak it up. I think he probably could have gone a couple more rounds. Um, I know that he was he was losing, you know, so badly, and he was he was running out of steam so badly, and really getting gassed and stuff like that. And Crawford was really putting the pressure on. But I think he he possibly could have just made it to the you know to the distance. But I think the referee jumped in probably at the right time for um, for Horn's best interest, really. But I think the fighter in him, he's got a bit of dog in him. I think he probably would have tried his absolute utmost best to survive, and he possibly could have he might have been dropped a couple more times i mean woulda coulda shoulda at the end of the day but i was quite um quite gutted because i think he did well to last as long as he did and like i say i went with crawford to win on points so i didn't get a point there you guys and the listeners both went with crawford by knockout so you both gained a point there so four points up for you four points up for the listeners and just three for me so i'm trailing once again by one uh, this week as well. So yeah, like I say, Jeff Horn now eighteen and one with one draw. Terence Crawford thirty three and oh, he's the new WBO World Welterweight Champion. Moving over now though to the final bill to mention. It happened at the Pioneer Event Center in Lancaster, California. This one actually happened on Sunday. Um, three fights to mention over here. Of course, one of the guys involved was a man that was on our show last week. Let's start with him. Michael Hunter, he moved to 14-1. and one. It was a KO in round five against Iago Kiladze, who's now 26-3. and three. Kiladze was down in the fifth round and out. A KO in round five for Michael, the bounty hunter. Uh, moving up the bill once again, Gerald Washington moved to win number 19. Of course, he's got two losses and a draw. It was a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against John Nofire, who's now 20-2. and two. So a decent win there for Gerald Washington. Back to winning ways for him. He actually hadn't won a fight since 2016 because he had an awful 2017. Um, I think he lost... I think he lost to Deontay Wilder there, and I think he also lost to Jarrell Miller in in 2017 as well. So he had quite a bad 2017, and he started his 2018 with a win. So like I say, he hadn't won since 2016. I'm very pleased for... Uh, the big G, Mr. Gerald Washington. We'll be speaking to him later on in the show. And the main event on this bill, Travis Kaufman, 31-2, and two, took on Scott Alexander, 14-2 and two with two draws. Um, Scott Alexander's actually a lot better than his record suggests. It ended up being a majority decision over 10 rounds in favour of Travis Kaufman. A very, very close fight, this one, by the way. Both fighters were knocked down in the very first round, so a real drama-filled start to that one. <laughs> But um, the friend of the show, Travis Kaufman, came out on top, so I'm pleased for him. His record now 32-2. and two. Scott Alexander, 14-3 and three with two draws. All the very best to Travis Kaufman, Gerald Washington, and Michael Hunter on that build there. But that really is it for the reviewing. A lot to mention, like I say there, that we've just done. That is it for the reviewing. Just before we wrap up part one, there's one last thing to do. That, of course, is to welcome our very first guest. 
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBC heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Gerald Washington. Gerald, welcome back on the show, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's always my pleasure with you. So, Gerald, we actually haven't spoke with you in over a year now. We last spoke on fight week of your challenge for the world title against Deontay Wilder. I want to revisit that fight just for a moment, Gerald. Please walk us through what went wrong for you. Because in my opinion, you won all four of the first four rounds before, of course, getting stopped in the fifth. You were jabbing Deontay's head off. You were making him look very average at points in that fight. And then, of course, he seemed to do what he always manages to do. He finds the big right hand, and then very shortly after that, the fight's over. Tell us from your point of view. Uh, you know what? The the fight was going... Uh, I, I was surprised at, at, of how, how well it was going. Uh, I was just like... I, I was looking for a lot more in the fight, and I was... Uh, it was just, uh, I, I just felt very comfortable in the fight. I felt very comfortable in the fight, and he managed to to land his right hand. He landed his right hand, and uh, it wasn't a matter of me not having my hand up. I had my hand up, but he created the opening by uh, using his left hand to just kind of deflect my hand, get my hand out of the way, his left hand, and move my left hand, and then he landed his right hand. I blocked the, and then he came back with a left hook, which I blocked completely, and that knocked me over. And my the reason for me popping up so fast that's what made me feel like I was like I was like I was like oh no, you know because I because I because uh, I fell over from that shot and not the right hand I was like that's why I popped right up and I was fine at that moment and then um, and then uh, yeah man we I, I knew he was gonna come again with the, with the big shots I was getting ready for a counter a counter punch for myself I was like I'm gonna get him in this moment. And then uh, that's what, that's where he caught me. But I, but I went wrong because I was pressing forward and I was using my jab very well. And I hit him with a, with a check hook at one moment in the fight. And then that moment I told myself, you know what, that's when I'm going to get him because he's, he's, he keeps circling out, moving away from me, and he's hard to and, – and I couldn't get it. I couldn't really get my hands on him very well. So I was going to wait for him to come. And that's, what, and that's where he caught me in, in, in that shot with that shot. Yeah, because like I say, I mean, not just because you're on the phone, but simply you won the first four rounds easily. Like, you completely almost scored him. You, you you were completely boxing his head off. And not just me who thinks that. I mean, I've spoke to other guys who completely agree with that. You were doing so well in the first four rounds. Of course, after that fight, a little bit of a kamikaze-style move, I suppose, in hindsight. Of course, you fought the undefeated knockout artist and top contender, Jarrell Big Baby Miller. Most people would have had a, you know, an easy comeback fight after losing to Deontay Wilder-Gerald, but not you. Do you regret that decision now? No, you know what? That's one of the best moves that I did in my career because I learned so much from that fight. I learned that I can't fight everybody the same way, that there's going to be different styles of fighters, you know what I mean? But And not until that moment was anybody else ever to pull that out of me and make me, make me understand that, you know, because there's, there's other fighters that have been trying to be, they tried to pressure me and I was able to, to, to hold them off because I was I was strong enough or whatever. This guy, this guy just, this guy just, man, bit down and he went all the way inside and said, that's what I'm going to do today. And that's what he did, and I and I had to learn how to adjust to that. So I had to go back to the drawing board, and literally I got uh, I had to get with a new team and 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 get get a, a better understanding of that. So I'm with a, a new trainer in Shadid Saluki. He worked with Lamer Booster to, to win the heavyweight championship from Vladimir Fisco, and he suffered from the same thing. He just wasn't a he suffered from the same thing, and I knew that that's what I needed to work on. So that's that's why I chose the man for the job, and um and uh. 
And I, I don't know if you saw my performance last night. I, I try to use a little bit of that. You know, I was I, I fought like I haven't fought before. I was I was stepping forward. Um, I was stepping forward, and I was just putting the the, the heat on the on my opponent, and, and he just uh, and and I could tell that he didn't like it, man. And I was just so now I'm gonna be able to build off of that and just uh, add something else to my arsenal, man, which is which is great. You know, he he gave me a better understanding of my inside game, how to how to work inside, and I don't. Uh, before I used to just think that my space was my was my was my island, you know what I mean? That was my sanctuary. But there's people that will come and invade that space, and if you don't know what to do, you're going to be up the creek without a paddle. So I learned that lesson, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I want to get onto that fight in just a moment about the one that you just recently had. Um, I just want to rewind like i say to that to that um big baby miller fight you you didn't seem yourself really in there you didn't use your size you you fought too close to miller you didn't really use your jab that night and of course your corner ultimately pulled you out after eight um you said that you said that you learned a lot there what i do want to ask you is obviously these two fighters deontay wilder and jarell big baby miller are very very different fighters both men can punch but i think that jarell is more of a kind of um a puncher where he'll kind of he, he, he never he never he never hurt me in the fight it wasn't a matter of him beating me i beat myself in that fight because yeah. i like i said i was i was trying to use my distance for 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 I, I i'm a fighter that uses the long i'm a long range fighter so once he took that away from me i, I was kind of I, I wasn't i didn't know what to do in that moment you know what i mean so i had to go and learn what to do how to fight mid-range and close range <laughs> That way I can back, I can counter punch, I can defend inside, I can back him up off me and get back into my boxing game. But if I didn't have an answer for him there, of course he's going to move into the space and live and, and fight in that space where I'm, I'm, I'm the most vulnerable. What's Jarrell's power like? Does it match up at all to, to Deontay's? If he, 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 he's not that type of fighter. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a pressure fighter with a, he's a value puncher, meaning he, he's going to just, he just taps, 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 and he'll just tap and keep working like that. Until until he finds the opening, then he'll he'll land, he'll throw the big shots. He never really landed the big shots on me, so that's what I'm saying. I was able to defend those well, but I was def- I was too busy defending everything, the light shots, where I was uh where I wasn't busy enough in that fight. You know what I mean? And 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 uh, like I said, man, it was a big learning lesson for me. Yeah, for sure. Now, obviously, 2017 was a bad luck year for you. That's no secret. But on a more positive note, you mentioned you're back now to winning ways. On Sunday, you picked up win number 19 against Wesley No Fire. I was saying before the fight, he definitely needs some fire to beat you. If he did have fire, he didn't have enough because you outpointed him over 10 rounds. Walk us through that fight, please, Gerald, for those that may not have seen it. Uh, it was just uh, th- this fight was more about me practicing something that I was uncomfortable doing, and I and I did that in the fight. Um, I could have easily boxed him the way that I normally do and, and, and fought him like that, and I, I would have been hitting him with cleaner shots. But my goal in this fight was to practice going forward, and I just had to make the adjustments because he was he was really grabbing on uh, and smothering a lot of my shots, and and I was allowing for that. I had to be able to create that space. But now I know that I, I need to uh, use my jab to get in. I can't just, you know, catch the punches and get in there. I can jab before he even goes. You know, I mean, it, it's all a process, and, I, and I'm it's a uh, it's another brick that I can add to my to, to my foundation. I'm just gonna keep growing. Yeah, I'm pleased to hear you say that, man. So, um, obviously, you were working before with um, with John Pullman. Is he still involved, or is he not involved now? 
No, he's not involved anymore, but we're uh, we're still tight, man, and we're uh, you know he, he's doing his thing. He has a lot of uh, he has a lot of good fighters over there, and um, and he he's building he's building up his gym over there, and, it, and it's going very well. Yeah, and this this gym that you're in now is there other known fighters in that gym as well that you can reel off a couple of names for us? Yeah, I'm at the Team Watson gym here in Van Nuys. Uh, actually, uh, Chucky came over and he did a little bit of his training camp there. Uh, to to prepare for his fight in Vegas when he fought, um, when he fought uh Caleb. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, he he came in there, and uh, just a, just a couple of it's a couple of other, other fighters that are up and coming right now. But I I think I have the, uh, I've gone the furthest in my career right now at the moment in the gym. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. So um, Gerald, just at this moment, have you got any idea when you're next fighting at all? No, I'm just I'm I'm a fighter that needs to stay busy. Though I need to be able to build off of my last performance and just keep keep growing. You know, I mean, I, I look forward to getting right back in the gym and getting back in there. That way, I can I can I can, I can uh, continue to learn because, I, like I said, I started so late in the game. I have 14 amateur fights and I'm learning on the job. And, and it's it's uh, you know, I, I've I've had the experience of, of fighting Deontay Wilder. I went to camp with Pisco, uh, you know, and I and and I and I fared very well with 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 those type of fighters because they're boxers and, you know, and Jarrell Miller showed me something else. And, um, and I'm glad that, that, that he brought that, that, that style to my attention. And, uh, I just have to keep, continue to get better in my style and I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to gel everything together and just, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, man. I'm in a happy place and, uh, just continue to grow. And you say there that you want to be kept active physically. When do you feel you'll be ready for another 10, 12 round contest? I mean, what month? I mean, we're in, oh, I'm ready. I'll be ready in two months. You know, I mean, that's just you know normal. Two to three months, I'll be ready to rock again. Okay, brilliant. And I love, and I love, and I love to come over to the UK and 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 mix it up with some of those guys as well. Yeah, I want to ask you: Have you got anyone that's sort of on your radar? Because I want to ask you that I don't want I don't want to you know try and trick you into calling someone out. But what type of opponent are you are you kind of looking at now? I mean, would you be looking at someone that's an undefeated up and coming guy? Would you be looking at someone who has lost at world level like someone like a Eric Molina? You know, where 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 do you want to go? Who do you want to fight? What kind of yeah, guy do you want to well, fight? As far as over there, I mean I'm, I mean you know, I'm not, I'm not you've saying... got I like that fight. Yeah, Fury. That the Huey Fury fight will be a great fight for me, you know. And uh, and, and uh, uh, yeah, that that would be that would be a great that would be that be the perfect uh perfect level of, of of opposition right there for me, you know. What I mean, as as I work my way back into into a world title contention, I have to I have to have a couple fights like that. Um, just just who just anybody that's gonna put me in the direction that I want to go, you know. What I mean, I, I've never said no to any fight. Never turn down any fight. I, if I get if I get a name, I, I accept all challenges. I just give. I prepare myself in a training camp, and, and I and I and I'll go out there and I'll give it my best, and, and, and that's all I can do. And I want to get your take on a couple of other fights that are um, either happening or perhaps going to be happening soon. We seem to be getting ever closer to this inevitable showdown now between Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. Of course, you've now been in there with Wilder. You haven't fought Joshua, obviously, but. Trying not to be biased, who do you believe will win that fight? Hopefully, if it does happen, man, I, I got. I don't. I, I really think that uh, Deontay Wilder is becoming a real a good sharpshooter. Uh, yeah, we all know that he's not his fundamental. Uh, I think Joshua might be fundamentally a uh, better boxer, but 
Deontay Wilder is is becoming a, he's becoming a very sharp puncher, man. He's he's been taking he takes guys out, you know, let, consistently, and uh, and and you got to believe in that, man. And you got to you got to know that. And Anthony Joshua was he 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 allows himself to to be touched, you know what I mean? So it's gonna make for a great fight. It's gonna make for a great fight. And I'm and I'm gonna be cheering my my countryman on, you know. I'm gonna be cheering Deontay Wilder on, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll be rooting for him. To, to bring it back, man, because I mean he he's done it, man. He's proven it to me, and, and he's he's proven it to the world, man. Let's let's. I, I I'm looking forward to that fight. And one thing that both men have shown us in like the last year or so is that um, they both passed very thorough gut checks. Obviously, Joshua, you know, he had life and death with 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 Vladimir Klitschko, and Deontay Wilder yeah. had a few moments in there with Luis Ortiz where it looked like he was almost gonna go. So, you know, both men yeah. have got a lot of heart. I think it just adds to a brilliant fight when it does get made. One... Uh, and that, that's why Anthony Joshua, man, that that was. A, I, I was in the ring. I was helping. Uh, I was helping Klitschko prepare for that fight, and I and I felt Klitschko, and I know that that was a tall task, man. And he he proved a lot to me by doing that. He did. I, I I was like, man, that's the real deal right there. After that, you know what I mean. I knew that there was that he, he's going to be a, a great champion. You know what I mean. So that that's why this fight is going to be so so intriguing. Yeah, for sure. I actually thought Klitschko was going to win that fight, but that's another story. Um, one fight that I will ask you about that has now been signed, it's going to be happening on July 28th in the UK, a fight that really took most of the public actually by, or and even the press as well, by surprise. Um, Dillian White will be challenging, well, sort of challenging, Joseph Parker. Brilliant fight. Yeah, great, great fight, man. Great fight for boxing, great fight for the heavyweight division i'm glad that the, you, you guys are making those the, they're making the great fights the big fights over there that's why i'm saying i, I want to get over there and mix it up with and, and be a part of that mix uh somehow you know what i mean when, when when the time comes you know because uh you know i want to be on the world stage like that but that, that's going to be a great fight you got a guy that's slick and likes to move and box and then you got another guy that's a, that's a bit of a bruiser and dylan white so um it's gonna make for a great fight, man. He, he's a he's a really gritty guy, and uh, yeah, that's gonna be another, that's another good fight. Did you manage to catch any of Tyson Fury's comeback fight on the weekend? And if so, what did you make of it? No, nah, I, 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 I didn't catch the. I didn't. I, I just saw a couple highlights, and I saw the kiss, of course. <laughs> and I saw I, I saw those guys picking each other up uh, during the weigh-in and stuff like that. You know, I, I I'm glad that Tyson Fury is back. I, I thought that he's a tremendous talent, and I love. Uh, I, I thought he, I thought he, I love what he did with uh, with Vladimir Klitschko and how he was able to do that. And that, because to me, boxing is a lot more of a mental game, and he and he really played that game with. Uh, he played that game very well with uh, when he fought Klitschko, and I was like, and I and I was surprised for him to be able to do that. He didn't do it with so much with power. He did it. More so with finesse and his using his mind, and, and that. And I'm glad he's back in the mix, man. I hope he can get his body back really where he needs to be. I know it's going to be hard to come back. He lost maybe 100 pounds or something from where he was, and to really get in tip-top shape where he can really compete is uh that that's what I'm that uh, he's just going to have to keep working. Yeah, for sure. We all hope he comes back to be. Uh, something close to what he was when he left us. Um, and finally, Gerald, really, I just wanted to ask you if there was anything that you wanted to say that I perhaps haven't asked you or just any closing words before we let you go. You can say anything you like. Oh, man, I'm just I'm just I'm just happy to, just to be able to, to, to do what I love and compete. And um, 
to be boxing on this level, you know what I mean, to be to be mentioned with these guys and and to mix it up and to be able to to be put in positions to fight with these guys, you know. Uh, I think that's what um, the heavyweight. That's what boxing needs, man. We need these. We need a lot of great fighters to 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 to, to make these great matchups. And I just want to uh, do my part in getting the mix, man. And and uh, one day, you know, fulfill my dream as, as uh, and, and and win a world championship. Absolutely, my friend. God willing, and hopefully we will see you in the UK soon, Huey Fury. I will make sure. Uh, I will make sure knows that. You know that's a fight that you that you'd like down the line. But listen, Gerald, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, my friend. Thank you for your time. Congrats once again on your win on Sunday, and we'll talk again very soon. All right, thank you. Take care, brother. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Eyes, what have you got for us? Uh, well, today's biggest news is that um, David Hare will retire from boxing. Yes, he's of course announced his retirement. He sent a big long um, page or two, actually. Uh, it was really worth a read, actually, as well. And, of course, he's 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 going to still be promoting. He's got a show this week that we will be speaking about. It's actually happening tomorrow. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what a brilliant fighter I has. It's a real shame the way his career ended, losing twice to Bellew, a man that I think everybody knows wouldn't have been able to beat a prime David Hay. Um, you know, the last two fights in his career were complete shambles, I guess, and he made money, I guess that's all what it really matters about at the end of the day, when he, you know, when he shuts his, his street door and, you know, he's looking at his beautiful furniture and his massive house, but, yeah, I was a real big fan of David Hay for years and years, I mean, he was probably the guy that really, really got me into boxing, to be honest with you, he was the guy, I mean, he was... Like some of my uh, first ever proper proper fights, where I was watching it as a hardcore fan, were David Hay fights, and um, I'm not ashamed to say that. You know, I mean, he he was just a phenomenal cruiserweight, one of the best cruiserweights Britain has ever 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 produced. Um, him against Johnny Nelson would have been a cracking fight back in the day. That of course never happened, but he was just a brilliant fighter. He was a true pay per view fighter. He had it all. He had the speed. He had the power. Those are the two main attributes, by the way, in boxing. It's about speed and power. If you've got those two things, then you can go a long, long way. And he had much more than that. But those two attributes, he certainly had in abundance. And he fought, you know, name after name. And he moved up to heavyweight. He made the jump and he beat, I believe it's like the biggest ever um, heavyweight world champion. He actually did that, and he was only a short guy for the weight himself. And I remember the size difference between those two guys. It was just unbelievable. And when David Hay dethroned Nikolai Valuev on the road, it was just, you know, that was the epitome really of his career to move up from cruiserweight, being a unified champion at cruiserweight, to move up and win the WBA world heavyweight title. Then to go out and take on Vladimir Klitschko, and of course Vladimir Klitschko, who up until his very last fight was a complete, utter knockout artist. And even though he didn't fight well that fight, David Hay, he wasn't, you know, he didn't get knocked out. He didn't really get disgraced too much until with the post-fight press conference, of course, when he blamed it on his toe. But aside from that, you know, he took some time out the ring. He retired a couple of times. He come back. He fought Derek Chisora-Eyes, and you were there ringside as well. And that was just a fantastic night in Upton Park that night. And that was a a brilliant build-up to that fight, one of the most exciting build-ups in British boxing history, to be honest, when they had to have the, you know, the metal fence between the two at the press conferences and stuff like that, the brawl out the ring, of course, in Munich, there was so much surrounding David Hay, 
And, you know, when he took the time out after the Chisora fight and he came back after all that time out, and then I remember being at his first fight when he took on Mark Damori and, you know, he walked out in the O2 and I'll never forget it because David Hay, he pulled out of many fights, of course, he was supposed to take on Tyson Fury, he was supposed to take on various other fighters and those fights didn't take place and he had the most loyalist fan base because I tell you what, he came back after all those all those years out and he got in there against Mark Demore. And I remember when he walked out to the ring, they're playing Ain't No Stopping Us Now. And I was right there, right there, literally. I could touch him if I put my arm out. I was that close to him. And he walked out and he stopped right in front of me. And he kind of just looked up at the crowd in disbelief. He couldn't believe it. Even though he was in fight mode, he walked out and he just took a moment and looked at the crowd. And I'll never forget it. And the look in his eye was just like, wow, I can't believe it. I've sold the place out. Like, they've they've all turned up to see me. The undercard's absolutely terrible. They're here to see me. They're not here to see Mark Damori. They're here to see me. And the whole of the O2 arena was absolutely packed out. And that was the moment there where I just thought, wow, this guy's fan base, I mean, they're so loyal. They're so forgiving. They've forgiven him for the injuries. They've forgiven him for the excuses. They've forgiven him for all the time out the ring. And they've showed up. And it was a, you know, it was a brilliant thing because he'd come back. He looked explosive with Shane McGuigan. He knocked out Mark Damore brutally. He knocked out that guy, Arnold the Cobra. Um, of course, he's since been really exposed as a bad fighter. He wasn't as good as what his record said, but he knocked him out at the time, and that was brutal as well. And we were all excited. We actually thought, you know what? He could perhaps beat Anthony Joshua, man. Oh, my God. But then, of course, when he fought Bellew, it all went wrong for him in that first fight. We all kind of, um, you know, we all said he only he only lost the fight because of a injury, and then he got back and tried his best, and, of course, another injury happened, and... You know, he he can't keep fighting and being injured. You know, his body's just going to, you know, he's going to end up in a wheelchair if he carries on. So I think he's, he's I mean, it's easy to say he's retired at the right time now because he's made some extra money. I think he's made about $6 million or something like that in the two Bellew fights combined. So how can you say no to that money? But, yeah, I mean, he kind of tarnished a little bit of his legacy there. Two losses to Bellew, but... You know, aside from that, everything has been brilliant in his career, and I'll always be a fan of David Hay, a real exciting person, not just a boxer, and I'm looking forward to his many years, hopefully, being a promoter. I mean, I'm one of his biggest fans, so a sad thing for him to retire, because, you know, I've always loved him as a fighter, but it, of course, had to happen one day, and it probably should have been a few years ago, but, yeah, I'm sad to see him go, to be honest, Ayers, and um, what a brilliant fighter he was, he really was, and... uh, just tell us a, a couple words on David Hay from your point of view as well. Obviously, um, like I say, you were there at, in Upton Park. Yes, I was there at Upton Park. I think um, David Hay, in my opinion, was one of the greatest uh, cruiserweights uh, in our childhood. And I think he's obviously going to go down as one of the best cruiserweights. And good luck to him, obviously. Good luck to him in his promotional career. And I wish him all the best. Yeah, very well said. Um, yeah, that's it on uh, on David Hay. As we've talked quite a lot about the first piece of news. What else have you got for us? Right, big news. Unbeaten world champion Mikey Garcia and Robert Easter Jr. will fight uh, Will fight in a unification at the Staples Center in Los Angeles on July 28th. 
Yes, I'm so pleased about this because I think that when Mikey won the title at 140 and he vacated it and moved back down to 135, no one really knew what he was going to do. I mean, he didn't have tons of options. At the time, of course, we had Linares fighting Lomachenko. We knew that he'd have to wait for the winner out of that. And in the other corner... Well, not in the other corner, but, you know, the other guys on the table, if you like, was Robert Easter Jr., and that was really about it. Um, Am I missing out one of the champions there? Of course, we had... um, Linares had the WBA. The WBC was Mikey, wasn't it? And then the W... The IBF, sorry, is um, Robert Easter Jr. Who's WBO champ, I ask? 135. Beltran. Beltran. So, yeah, um... You know, obviously Beltran hasn't long been champion, but yeah, he's in the picture. Very respectfully to Beltran, because I do like him. I don't think everyone's raving about the Mikey Garcia versus Beltran fight, to be honest with you. So, I mean, Robert Easter Jr. is a lucrative fight. He's, he's like you say, undefeated, 21-0, a bit of a puncher himself, 14 knockouts from 21 wins. He's tall for the weight as well, five foot eleven. you know, five foot six. Mikey Garcia, by the way, so that's a huge, huge difference in size, five inches there, so that is something to think about, but yeah, Mikey Garcia is one of the best fighters in the world, and I think this is a perfect thing to do here to, you know, to, to unify this division here at 135, where he's better suited. Uh, than 140, and I think when he wins this, which I think he really will, I think he probably even knocks um, Robert Easter out, Um, I will say Robert Easter, talking about size difference, in Robert Easter's last fight, I remember he took on Javier Fortuna, and Javier Fortuna is a short guy, and he really struggled with Fortuna, but Fortuna was a southpaw, um, to give him credit, but yeah, great fight, Um, I'm backing Mikey to win it, and when he wins it, I'd like to see him perhaps take on Linares, who didn't disgrace himself against Lomachenko, really. So, um, yeah, there's there's many good fights there. I'm not quite sure what Lomachenko's doing, whether he's moving back down in weight, which I think he probably should do. But, um, yeah, exciting times for Mikey Garcia. Rocky Fielding will fight Tyron Zoiger for his WBA World Super Middleweight title on July 14th. Yeah, um, there were many people in the hat, I guess, for this fight. I wanted, personally, to see John Ryder get the shot. I think that he deserved it as well. But then on paper, if you look, you know, he does have a loss, a very controversial loss to Rocky Fielding. Um, I'm pleased for Rocky Fielding being a Brit to get the chance. I think he probably will win that fight, actually. It's not that long away, though. I don't know if he's had great preparation for it, I'm hoping he has obviously he's going to have to travel for it as well so there is that, but I wish him all the best, I think it's a very very winnable fight and he can punch himself Rocky Fielding, aside from that one fight against Callum Smith where he got beaten around, he's actually a really good fighter, he's got a lot of skills about him as well so yeah, I think that's a cracking fight and I'm really looking forward to it, so all the very best to him, if he does win I'd like to perhaps see the rematch with John Ryder, I think John's on a real, real wave at the moment. He's on a roll. So, uh, yeah, from a personal point of view, I'd like to see John Ryder get a crack, but I'm pleased for Rocky Fielding as well. Martin Murray's uh, replacement fight will be against Roberto Garcia. 
Yeah, obviously there was question marks about Martin Murray fighting on the 23rd of June after Billy Joe Saunders pulled out of the fight. It's great that he has um, got an opponent sorted for that date, so no training camp wasted for him, which is a good thing. Obviously, it's not a world title fight. It is against a guy called Roberto Garcia, who is a 38-year-old Mexican, 41-3. and His record of the three losses, he's never been stopped, and his last loss was back in 2010 against Antonio Margarito so he's been around for a long long time this guy um, you know he's, he's obviously coming to the tail end of his career like Martin Murray so it could make for quite a good fight or it could make for a terrible fight but it's for the WBC silver middleweight title so it does give Martin Murray um, you know something to to get up for I guess I mean aside from the fight itself he will actually end up with a title if he wins so we wish Martin Murray the best of luck I'm not quite sure how the styles will gel actually I'm hoping it will be a good fight but um yeah, I'm, I'm pleased, literally, because Frank Warren could have said, sorry, Martin, you're not fighting Billy Joe now, that's it. But he has actually really tried his best to get an opponent, and a decent opponent as well, so that he just simply doesn't waste his money on a training camp. So credit to Frank Warren, that was kind of him to do that. And like I say, all the best to Martin Murray. I'll be there for that one, supporting him. Right, the same person uh, that beat Bradley Skay, whose name is... Uh... Kermit Lejaraga will fight. Will face Frankie Gavin on Saturday, the seventeenth of November. Wow, is that official? I haven't even seen that. Yep, it's official. Wow, so that is on the what of November? You say seventeenth of November. Okay, so just um, what's that about? That's about five months this week. So uh, quite a weird thing to have a fight announced in five months time that's that's quite crazy but um yeah all the best to frankie gavin in that one i guess we'll have to try and get him on the show he's been on a couple times before um obviously his career's kind of hit a bit of a dead end at the moment and he's a bit unsure of where to turn to and if he wins this fight then his whole career is back on track Kerman leharaga though is undefeated and he certainly can punch he showed us that against bradley skeet in a real heartbreaking win um or heartbreaking loss for bradley skeet but a heartbreaking win um to see Kerman leharaga win that fight so yeah I'd have to favour Leharaga, I guess, simply because he's he's the much fresher guy. But if Frankie can get in there and, you know, get to his boxing skills and roll back the clock a little bit, then it could be quite interesting. Um, Obviously, that fight's going to be at 147 as well. So that's that's not a great thing for Frankie, I I seriously think. I think he should be down at 140 at least. But... um, yeah, it is what it is. All the best to Frankie Gavin. I really hope he can avenge it for Bradley Skeet. And then perhaps they can even get a rematch going. Because it was a real, real controversial night when when Frankie Gavin got the nod over Bradley Skeet. I disagreed with that one completely. I was there for that one. Darius Sek will face Anthony Yard on June the 23rd. Yeah, Anthony Yard was on the show. I think, was it last week? Or it might have been the week before that. But anyway, Anthony Yard was actually telling me that he was looking for a southpaw. He said that in the interview, he was looking for a southpaw. They found one here. Now, I don't really have any problem with this fight because Anthony Yard obviously has had such a short amateur career, 12 fights in his amateur career. He's turned pro. Um, he's he's now, of course, 15-0. and 0. He hasn't fought a southpaw yet. I don't know if he fought a southpaw in the amateurs, but that's amateurs anyway. He hasn't fought a southpaw as a pro. And he takes on a guy here called Darius Sek. You may be asking who that 
that is fair question he's not a big name he's 31 years of age he's a polish fighter he stands at six foot two so the height will be with him of course he is an actual light heavyweight it's not like they're dragging this guy up in weight or you know trying to pull him down in weight or anything like that he is a career light heavyweight he's lost like i say three times his record's 27 and three with three draws he's not a big puncher himself he's only got nine knockouts but of his three losses he's never been stopped so that is a good thing we may see anthony yard you know go some rounds here um his last loss, Darius Sek, was in 2017 to Viktor Polyakov, a very close split decision loss. And the loss before that was back in 2014 to Robin Krasnicki, who at the time was 42-3. and Of course, Robin Krasnicki is now 48-5. and And Krasnicki is currently, today as we speak, he just won it a couple weeks back, he is the EBU European Super Middleweight Champion. So there's no shame in losing to Krasnicki. And it was was actually quite a close fight that fight by the way and it was in Krasnicki's backyard of Germany and of course like I say it was by a unanimous decision so he went the distance this guy with the current European champion so I think it's, it's it's a fair step up for Anthony Yard. It's not a gigantic step up. I don't think there's any real threat to Anthony Yard, but this guy is no mug. So I've got no qualms with this fight. Uh, I'm pleased that he's fighting a southpaw. He's getting the experience, and if he can knock this guy out, he you know he, he makes another statement, doesn't he? So I'm pleased for Anthony Yard, and I wish him all the best. Yes, that's it for the news. Okay, thank you, Eyes. Of course, there's a lot of back and forth at the moment about the Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua fight. Until that's finalised, there's no point us just you know speculating about what's going on but yeah getting over now to the preview part of the show there is one fight to mention that's happening tomorrow at york hall bethnal green london united kingdom of course a haymaker promotions card this one david hay got his promoting hat on um a couple fights to mention on the bill here michael venom page he fights his record one and oh he takes on michael kiach who's one and five that's a four rounder there i'm expecting michael venom page to get a really easy win to be honest here um i'd like to see him stepped up because we you know we hear about him being this really fantastic fighter apparently he's done um very well against world champions in the gym that's what david hay has said but he seems to just be fighting these guys that are you know they're no good i know he's only had you know the one pro fight he fought a guy who was two and 11 with one draw this guy's one and five so he's not much better but um we do have to remember that michael venom page is 31 years of age so it's not like the you know it's not like the times on his side really also on this bill we have savannah marshall her record of course two and oh she's in a six rounder that's of course six two minute rounds her opponent yet to be announced linus Udofia, his record at the moment eight and oh he's in a six rounder against Eric Nwankwo, who's one-on-one. Joe Joyce tops the bill, of course, the juggernaut, the Olympic silver medalist from the 2016 Olympics in Rio. His record 4-0 with four knockouts. He puts his Commonwealth heavyweight title on the line against Ghana's very own Richard Larty, who's 12-1. I mean, this this guy Larty, of of his one loss, it was by knockout. It was to Ergen Mersin back in 2014. Now Ergen Mersin is is 12 and 0. So he lost to this guy called Ergen Mersin, who, like I say, won the fight and then retired straight after. So 
quite weird. It was for the uh, vacant WBC youth silver heavyweight title at the time. But like I say, that was back in 2014. Since then, Richard Larty's gone on a winning streak. He's got six wins in a row now. Um, three of them have come by knockout. He's got nine knockouts from his 12 wins. So I'm not expecting too much from him. But, you know, it's, it's, it's another real showcase, I guess, for Joe Joyce. He defends his Commonwealth strap. So... No real problem with that, I guess. It's not a fantastic card, but I will be there cheering him on from ringside. Moving over now to Quebec, Canada. One or two fights to mention over here. Eves Ulysse Jr., 15-1. and one. He is in the ring against Ernesto Espana, who is 25-0 with one draw. Ulysse is the guy that last time out took Cleta Seldin's O in a fantastic, very smart boxing lesson fight. He really was brilliant that night, Eves Ulysse. And he was coming off a very controversial split decision loss. I do really like the look of Eves Ulysse Jr. I think he's got a lot to like about him. A very, very clever boxer. And I think he's got a really, really bright career. He is 29 years of age, though. But this guy here that he takes on, Ernesto Espana, 25 and 0 with one draw, 20 by 9 knockout by the way a venezuelan boxer here um when you look down his resume they're not against fantastic fighters his one draw came against ruben nieto um that's the guy that took on lenny Dawes in that mad fight and lenny Dawes got disqualified for a headbutt that's another story though going off topic a little bit this guy spanner can punch but I'm, I'm i'm really expecting eves ulysse to put on a fantastic display of boxing and probably win a points decision there moving over now though to germany one or two fights to mention over here we have firat arslan 47 years old <laughs> 42 wins eight losses and two draws he fights for the vacant global boxing union world cruiserweight title not too much credibility that belt there. He takes on Pascal Ndomba, who's 23 and 8 with two draws. In his last fight, Arslan, he actually knocked out the guy in the first round, and the guy was pretty awful. This guy here is not much of a step up, so I'm guessing it'll probably be a win for the man who is Firat Arslan, who's almost 48 years of age, former. Of course, cruiserweight world champion. And moving over to another part of Germany. This one happening in Munich. couple fights to mention on this bill. We've got Peter Mylas, who's 11-0. He recently beat Kevin Johnson, the heavyweight. Um, he is also the IBO international heavyweight champion. He puts his belt on the line against Francesco Pianetta, who's 35-3 and three with one draw. That's a 12-rounder there. Pianetta, one of his three losses came to Vladimir Klitschko. I think he was undefeated at the time when he took on Klitschko for the world heavyweight titles. And I remember him getting knocked out pretty quickly. But Pianetta, if I'm not mistaken, he had cancer and he overcome it and he carried on with his boxing career. He doesn't quite get the plaudits that um, Daniel Jacobs had because he did actually get right to the top of the sport and fight for a world title but yeah he doesn't really get the credit that Jacobs gets but he is a decent enough fighter Pianetta so a real step up here for Peter Milas like I say just come off of the win over Kevin Johnson uh, moving down this bill though it's a real weird one here Marco Huck 40 wins 5 losses and 1 draw he takes on Jakub Saglam who's 40 and 4 this is actually a real real 
a real tough fight and this could really go either way of course Marco Huck a man that certainly has seen better days and Marco Huck hasn't won a fight since 2016 either he's coming off of two losses um, a, a unanimous decision loss over 12 to Breedis in 2017 and also in the late part of 2017 he got knocked out in the 10th round by Alexander Usyk but Saglum himself he's actually coming off of a string of wins he's coming off of six wins in a row all by knockout as well and his last loss was in 2015 to Joseph Parker he got TKO'd in two rounds um, he also lost to Odlania Solis back in 2013. That's the name for the for the past. And also he lost to Manuel Char back in 2013 as well. So, um, yeah, his last three losses all came by knockout Saglam. And of his 40 wins, he's got 37 knockouts. So he's one of those guys that I think either knocks you out or gets knocked out. It really depends on what... Um, on what Marco Huck has left, to be completely honest. I believe the fight will be happening at heavyweight. I think it will. Let me just quickly check that. Um, just to be sure. Yes, it will be at heavyweight. This guy stands at 6'4", and Marco Huck, of course, 6'2". Should be a decent fight, that one. Moving over now from Germany to Mexico. One fight to mention over here. Jose Zapida. That's the guy that lost that really weird fight against Terry Flanagan where he seemed to dislocate his shoulder or something like that. And that was when Terry Flanagan won the world title in the first place. The WBO title. Jose Zapida, 28-1. and one. He's in a 12-rounder against Carlos Ramirez, who's 26-0. and 0. Should be a good fight there for Mexico. That's a 12-rounder. Moving over now to Poland. One fight to mention over here, Andre Fonfara, 29-5. and five. Of course, a former opponent of Adonis Stevenson. They had two fights, and the most recent one, Adonis Stevenson knocked Fonfara out in two rounds. He looked terrible in that fight. And in the other corner, Ishmael Salah. Of course, 25-5, and five, he got knocked out in two against Kovalev. So both these guys fighting each other. One got knocked out by Kovalev in two. One got knocked out by Stevenson in two. It's a 10-rounder. Should be a decent fight there for Poland. You'd probably have to favour Fomfara being the home fighter for this one. But to be honest, Seller's not a bad fighter himself. Moving over now, though, to Newcastle. United Kingdom, Tyneham Ware, the Metro Radio Arena. What do we have over here? We have Hosea Burton returning to the ring, his record 21-1. Glenn Foots on the bill, his record 22-3. Ricky Burns is on the bill, his record 41-7 with one draw. All three of those guys there are without an opponent at the moment. Um, we have a guy, uh, an undefeated prospect here called Jake High his record 9-0 and he takes on Adam Jones who's 8-33 and with 6 draws my favourite journeyman Adam Jones he's actually coming off an upset win himself last weekend so he's got some momentum behind him Adam Jones also on the bill for the English Cruiserweight title Arfan Iqbal 12-0 and takes on Simon Valili 13-1 and this fight was supposed to happen once or twice before they're finally getting in the ring it wasn't through any fault of their own I don't think that the fight's never went ahead so it's great that this fight will finally be happening also for the vacant wba continental super flyweight title charlie edwards 12 and 1 friend of the show takes on anthony nelson an absolutely identical record 12 and 1 also that's a 12 round contest there anthony nelson of course gave us fight of the year when he took on jamie conlon what a fight that was of course charlie edwards um, his one loss came at world title level, so I guess you'd have to favour Charlie Edwards. We actually went to the predictions on this. I, I actually forgot. 
Um, I went with Charlie Edwards to win this fight on points. I don't think he'll be able to stop Nelson. I think Nelson's a tough, tough guy. And let's be honest, in terms of actually having a proper war... Um, Anthony Nelson's been there before. I know that Charlie Edwards had to dig deep against Casemiro, but um, I think he didn't really have a choice. I think you know he took a bit of a beating that night. He didn't really get his own shots off, but to stand there and trade and properly have it, he didn't really do that. He was in deep water, but he didn't really have a proper proper tear up with the guy. And of course, when um, when Anthony Nelson fought Jamie Conlon, it was a real tear up. So. Could be quite a good fight, this one. I really hope it is. I hope that the Clash of Styles brings out the best in both guys. And hopefully we see a little bit of blood and guts from both guys. But I'm expecting Charlie to win this fight here. Ayaz, how do you see that fight playing out? Of course, Anthony Nelson, a bit of a warrior. And Charlie Edwards, a bit of a master boxer, really. Yes, yeah, so, uh, I think we're going to see a different Charlie Edwards. Obviously, um, we saw, uh, we've seen Charlie Edwards fight a couple of... Uh, we've seen him fight and obviously left split with Adam Booth. But I want to see, obviously he's training in, in the Steel City, but I want to see think, I want to see how he performs. But if I'm going to go with him, I'm going to go with Charlie Edwards to win on points. Yeah, the listeners also agree with you and me, Ayaz. So we're all going with Charlie Edwards on points there. All the very best to him, a friend of the show. He was on a few weeks ago, of course, for this bill here. So we've spoke to him about this fight. Also, another man that has been on our show to speak about his fight on this bill, Gavin McDonald, 19-1 and with two draws. Fresh off his fantastic win against Gamal Yafai, in which he was a big underdog for. Of course, Gavin McDonald, very recently, his brother lost his 10-year unbeaten streak. He's in a tough fight here, by the way, Gavin McDonald, against former world champion Stewie Hall, 21-6 and with two draws, of course. This one is for the WBC International Super Bantamweight title. That belt at the moment is Gavin McDonald's will that belt be Gavin McDonald's come Sunday though Ayers how do you see that fight unfolding there Gavin McDonald and Stuart Hall um, I, think, fight. I think it's a very tough fight but I, I think Gavin McDonald will win this on points I think Gavin McDonald's reach is very good um, I think he's a very good fighter as well obviously we saw him perform a master class against Kamaya fight I think Gavin McDonald will win on points as well yeah, I have to agree with that, and so do the listeners. I think it's certainly a points fight, this one. I don't think Stuart Hall's got the, uh, you know, he's got much power. I don't think he's got the power, really, to trouble Gavin McDonald like that. I don't think Gavin McDonald's got the power either. Gavin McDonald did, I did say this to him, and he actually said to me he'd be very annoyed if it went the distance. So I think he might end up being annoyed, but I think he probably will win and win well. I really hope he does. Of course, he was on the show a few weeks back as well. And, of course, Josh Kelly, 6-0, fresh off his win over former world champion Carlos Molina. He puts his WBA international welterweight title on the line. And in the other corner, Chris George, 14-1. and He puts his Commonwealth welterweight title on the line. Chris George is a man who, like I say, his one loss actually was by points to a guy called Kanzu, who is a decent fighter, actually, a Chinese fighter. So no real shame in that one. Um, yeah, that, that's, it's a tough fight, really. I mean, of course... Um, Chris George is an Australian guy. He's five foot ten and a half. I don't think that's really going to be much of a problem. But Josh Kelly is just really looking impressive all the time now, especially that win there against Carlos Molina. Again, Josh Kelly's been on the show to talk about this fight just, I think, a couple days before it got announced officially. He kind of did say he was fighting, but we were mainly talking about his last fight. So I wish him all the best, of course, but I'm expecting a, a very dominant Josh Kelly win once again. Uh, yes, um, same thing. I think Joshua Kelly, um, obviously, I'm going to go with a Josh Kelly knockout. The reason is, obviously, we've seen Josh Kelly, um, he's, um, he's, a, he's got Olympic pedigree. 
He went to the Rio Olympics. Uh, we've seen him in the pro ranks. And my word, he's, he's going very, very quickly with Adam Booth. He's side by side uh, with Ryan Burnett as well. So, I mean, he's gaining a lot of experience. And I think I, I think um, Josh Kelly is going to make a statement this Saturday. Yeah, that one is a 12-round contest, though I don't see it going the distance. Even though this guy's never been stopped and... Um... Josh Kelly's not really the biggest one-punch guy. I think he's an accumulative guy, but he's so damn good, Josh Kelly. I love watching him. There's no other prospect in the world that's only 6-0, and 7-0, and something like that, that I enjoy watching more than him. I don't think there is one. I mean, I'm trying to think now. I like watching Shakur Stevenson. Um, I like a little bit of Michael Conlon. You know, out of all the Olympians, he's by far, by far the most exciting one to watch. By absolute far. He's so brilliant, man. I love watching him. So I'm excited to see him fight once again. We did the predictions on this. I'm going with a Josh Kelly knockout. So are you guys. The listeners went with... Um, they went with a Kelly knockout as well. No one at all voted for George to win either by points or by knockout. Literally everyone went with Josh Kelly by knockout. Uh, sorry, 80% with Kelly by knockout, 20% with Kelly on points. But yeah, we've all gone there with Kelly by knockout. So far, we can't be split. Um, moving up the bill once again, we have Lewis Ritson, 15-0. He takes on Paul Highland Jr., 18-0. A fantastic fight here for the British lightweight title. Of course, Ritson has looking to win it out right here. This will be his third defense of it, and I'm guessing probably his final defense if he wins is his chance to win it outright. And I think he would have won the whole thing outright in about, I think it was about five or six, maybe seven months, actually, from winning it and then defending it three times. I think it's seven months, so Something like that, which has probably got to be up there with one of the quickest times to win it outright if he does indeed win on Saturday. Yes, I think uh, Lewis Wilson's a very good fight. Um, he's very explosive as well. Um, obviously, um, I don't know much about his opponent, but if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Lewis Ritson because I think it's in his hometown and I think he's going to have the crowd behind him. So I'm going to go with Lewis Ritson to win on points. Yeah, Paul Highland Jr., He's a good fighter. I mean, he's been in there with a couple of decent guys. Adam Dingsdowie knocked him out in a round. He got a split decision win against Stephen Ormond. Um, aside from that, I mean, he hasn't really fought the best of guys, really. But when he has fought, he's looked good. You know, he's 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 one of those guys that I feel is very underrated. Um, he doesn't really get the recognition, I don't think, from most of the, you know, most of the casual fans. I don't think he's really got that appeal. But he's actually a really good fighter, and I don't think he's with a top promoter. I could be completely wrong, but he's not really like, you know, a guy that I think gets much TV time. So he's very much an under the radar type of guy, just like Rickson was really. Just a matter of months ago, he, you know, his whole life's completely turned around. And if Paul Highland Jr. can win this fight, then, you know, he'll he'll be doing exactly the same thing. And he'll probably get a, a contract from Frank Warren on the Sunday. But, um, yeah, Lewis Ritson, I'm expecting to do the job here. And I'm going to go with him by knockout. Did you say by knockout as well, Ayers? Over points. Oh, you've gone points. Okay, okay. Very brave of you there. The listeners going with Ritson by knockout as well. Uh, 9% going with Highland by knockout as well. So perhaps, perhaps, I'm not quite sure though. But yeah, Ritson, I believe, will win this and then move on to the European scene because the world really is at his feet at the moment. I mean, he's just looking absolutely fantastic, Lewis Ritson. Really bringing big-time boxing to Newcastle as well on his own. 
Uh, moving over now, though, to the Ford Center at the Star, it's called, in Frisco, Texas, USA. One or two fights to mention on this bill. This is our final bill to preview as. Um, what do we have over here? We have Yudenis Ugas, 21 and 3. He's in an 8 rounder, his opponent yet to be announced. We have Javier Fortuna, 33 and 2 with 1 draw. He's in a 10 rounder against Adrian Granados, 18 and 6 with 2 draws. Of course, Granados really uh, looking for some kind of um, retribution, I guess, really, for losing that real close fight against Adrian Broner, where some people believe Granados should have got the win. Of course, after that, he took on. Sean Porter and he lost that one but this is a fight where he's certainly up for it he certainly believes he'll win and Javier Fortuna coming off a loss himself as we mentioned earlier to Robert Easter Jr so quite a good fight there we've gone to the predictions on that one as it's a 10 round contest there um, Javier Fortuna, Adrian Granados let me quickly check what the listeners have voted for this they've gone with it's very close but they've gone Fortuna on points I tell you what I'm going to agree with that as well. I don't know where you stand on it, Ayaz. Fortuna or Granados? Go with Fortuna on points. Okay, so we're all going with Fortuna there. Um, And the main event here. The main event, the main event, the main event. In fact, let's mention also on the undercard, Daniel Roman, 24-2 and with one draw. He puts his WBA World Super Bantamweight title on the line against Moises Flores, 25-0. and Moises Flores, I'm expecting to probably win that fight. That's a 12-rounder, of course. Just a little mention there. Again, this card's going to be shown on Showtime. But the main event, the fight that really makes this card what it is, Errol Spence Jr., 23-0, and puts his IBF World Welterweight crown on the line, the belt that he took away from our very own Kell Brook against Carlos Ocampo 22-0, both men undefeated here, combined records of 45-0 a lot of people overlooking um, Ocampo and I mean, I understand why it's because Errol Spence is looking like an absolute beast and everybody's really high on him you know, that's that's all there really is to say. I've gone and looked at the votes and 96% have gone with Spence by knockout. I'm going to have to go with that as well. No one going with Acampo whatsoever. Errol Spence, of course, 23-0 and with 20 knockouts. Even though this man's never been stopped, Diaz, and he's never been down... He's not a big puncher himself. I just think he'll probably fold under the pressure that Errol Spence puts on him. And I think that... I think it's got to be a Spence knockout for me. As a, you know, I think you're going to probably agree as well. I'm going to have to agree. I'm going to have to go with Aerosmith Jr. by knockout. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, so, yeah, we've agreed with most of our predictions this week. We've done, of course, the reviewing. We brought you the news. We brought you the first guest, of course. Just before we wrap up the previewing, there is one more thing to do. And that is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBO world title challenger, Mr. Gary Corker. And Gary, welcome back on the show. Uh, cheers, mate. Nice to have me. Hey, it's, it's always my pleasure, my friend. So, Gary, of course, we last spoke in the build-up to your last fight against Jeff Horn back in December yeah. in Australia. Of course, the fight didn't end the way you wanted it to. You were officially TKO'd due to a very bad cut that you sustained in the fight. You did show some serious character and guts. You forced Jeff Horn as well to dig deep himself. What do you remember from that night in Australia? I just uh, just remember, I'll be honest, it was a big occasion. It was a big occasion. I was away from home. I was away from home. I knew, in my in my opinion, I had to knock the kid out. I had to knock or stop the kid. So I had to do it. But 
the bad cut from the first round and uh, I had to get on with it. It was a really good fight, but uh, I really think if things went, didn't, went my way, it would have been a different fight. But uh, uh, fair play to me. When I'm a boxer, Terence Crawford is another level. He's pound for pound, probably the best in the world. And no doubt, uh, I'd, uh, if I got to tell a fight, uh, fight uh, Jeff again, but it won't happen. <laughs> And I want to ask you, were you surprised by anything? Obviously, you know, you went out there and in in some parts of that fight, it was kind of your style of fight. It was a little bit of a war at times, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it was. It was a, in the six. In the six, after six, change. So I, 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 I froze it at the stage. I got there. I didn't throw nothing. And I look at it and I was like, it's just, it's just it was a very big stage. And I, and I, I basically, I, I really did say I, I thought, though, I've learned from it. I've learned a lot from it, and I think if I fought him again, it would be a different story, but it's a, it's a learning, very le- a learning progress for me. I'm only 27, so uh, I've learned a lot of it. Yeah, for sure, and of course, you earned yourself a lot of Australian fans that night, because I actually saw a lot yeah. of tweets online. Uh, the Australians were giving you huge credit. You put in a very brave and valiant effort. Uh, you also yeah. flew out to the States and did some sparring with Terence Crawford, I understand. How was that? Yeah, it was not. I'll be honest, I got, I got an injury before I went over, so I had to stop it. And two weeks before, on post go over, uh, <laughs> But visas got put back, so I had to sign. We had to sign for new uh, visas, so uh, he didn't go over in the end. But oh, you didn't go. He didn't go in the end. But uh, listen, it happens. This learning. Hopefully, it won't be the last time we've been called for sparring. But uh, nah, it is what it is. But uh, if I had to go over and and I had to uh, try to dig through it, I would have probably been out of my fight next month and end of the month, and I couldn't take that risk. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. I was going to say to you, because um, I thought you had gone over there, but somehow you must have given the blueprint to Terence Crawford, because obviously he was able to beat Jeff Horn on the weekend, just gone. Did you manage yeah. to watch the fight? What did you make of it? Yeah, uh, I watched I watched clips of it. Yeah, I haven't watched it all. If you look in the first six rounds, first, was me and Jeff Horn was coming from the top I was pushing him around. So he knew what, what to do, but we had to say about Terence Crawford. He's the best in the world. I mean, he's not. He's probably top pound number one. And uh, I give him that. He's a really good fighter. And mm. of course, your own fight will be coming up in just over two weeks' time. You'll be fighting Paddy Gallagher in his backyard of Belfast. Tell us, um, yeah. tell us, Gary, what do you know about Paddy? A lot better than his record uh, suggests. He's a lot better than his record suggests. But. Uh, I know some of the fighters you beat, you beat him, you beat him, and uh, I'm not going to take uh, Paddy lightly. That's why I'm preparing what I always do with good fighters, and um, a, a lot better fighters than him. I know there are a lot better fighters than him, but uh, that's why I'm sparring. I'm just keeping my high what I'm sparring, and this camp's going very well. I'm at home myself, so it's only in Ireland. It's not that far. It's, I have a family over there in Venezuela, and. Uh, it's it's a Frank Warren show, so um, I'm very happy. I'm very happy with this fight. And this fight, like I say, will be taking place in Belfast. You've actually been yeah. on the road a lot recently. Three of your last four fights yeah. you've had to travel. Australia, Wales, Belfast. Each time those fights haven't gone the distance. Um, yeah, do you see this fight? Do you see this fight going the distance? Uh, 
It depends. It all depends. It all depends. If I if I box to how I've been boxing recently, and it goes right what I've been doing, it won't go the distance. I'll be honest, I don't think it'll go the distance. But I won't be taking Paddy. Like, if it goes distance, I'm not, I know how to do the 12 rounds. I know how to do the 12, 10s. It's going to be a 10-rounder. And I work at a good pace. And I've done it a lot of times. So, if it, if it goes to I think I'll outpoint him. But, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't matter to me. If the stoppage comes, it comes. If it's stopping, it's stopping. It doesn't matter. And obviously, like you say, you you know you fought on the very very top of the game stage last time out. Um, you say yes. that the occasion got to you a little bit this time. You're probably expecting a little bit of hostility when you go out there. Is there any danger of it affecting you at all, or have you kind of been there and experienced no. it all? Now? I've been. I've experienced all of it. I've experienced. It. I've experienced it. And all of it. he hasn't experienced this kind of what is a big massive crowd, big stadium. For, Sort of staying, people booing yeah, people booing. Having experience, I've experienced all that. I've been, I've been around the world, the doing fighting good fighters now. So uh, I know, I know what level want to get back to. You know what I mean? I know what level one is at, and I think I mean, I'm levels above them. And so it's time for me to show it. And should you win this fight, obviously, without looking too far ahead, I did want to ask, what do you believe will be next for you? I know that the British title's vacant. Is that a belt that, you know, you, you've got your eye on, or do you envision yourself fighting for a belt past British level when you do fight for a title next? Yeah. What I, what, what I wanted, I, what, I wanted a big fight. I wanted a big fight again and get on. Get on. So to give me Paddy Gallagher for my comeback fight. And I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm happy with it. But I'll take the British. I will actually take the British. It just means more to me to, to get it, just to get it. If I get it, win it, I'm happy to give it a move on, get bigger belts. But till till I win up, I won't be happy. <laughs> and is that the belt that you see yourself fighting for in a realistic world next? Realistically, yeah, I want it next. I want that title next. I don't okay. give a care who it is, but I've been asked, I've been asked so many times how many fighters, and this this fight has been turned down. To be honest, fighters. In turn, turn of fight. So I don't blame them because it is a hard fight for them. And uh, but I, I would just want the British, and then just to move on, just move on, give it whoever wants it after. I'm happy. But I just want to get out the British, move on from there, and uh, hopefully fight at world level again. I know well, I got the ability for that. And of course, domestically, you've got the likes of Josh Kelly fighting this weekend for the Commonwealth title. That would be a good fight for you. You've got the guy that beat Bradley Skeet for the European. He's taking on Frankie Gavin in November. You, yeah. against, you against the winner of that would be a good fight. You've got Conor Ben making waves at the moment. Is your eye on anybody in particular <laughs> at all? Um, I definitely know on Conor Ben. Definitely know on Conor Ben. No disrespect to Conor. I know he, he has his bad name. He's very, very... What can I say? He's very nice. He has to learn. There's a lot of learning to do. Uh, Josh Kelly, he's, he's got he's got a good name come from him. Good amateur, good. But me and I know Kelly deep down. Me and Kelly, I don't want I don't want to go into it. But I think right now with Kelly, I think I'll be Kelly. And uh, the rest, Bradley, Bradley, I'm me and Bradley keep were meant for a few. It didn't happen. So. uh if it doesn't happen, I just want to move on. Move on. If it's if it, even if it's that Spanish geezer. 
Yeah, that Spanish guy's fighting um, Frankie Gavin now in in November. Yeah. Just been announced. Yeah, either one, either one. I'm happy with either him or Frankie Gavin. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. If, Bradley, if Frankie wins, I'm very happy for him. But uh, I'll fight him. I'll, yeah, I'll fight him anywhere, anytime. Yeah, we wish we wish Frankie Gavin all the best in his travels to. Yeah, hundred percent. And just lastly, Gary, I uh, I always like to give you an opportunity, really, to to say anything you like. If there's anything I haven't asked you that you want to get across, anything at all, just say whatever you like. No, I just want to say it's going to be. I know it's going to be a good year for me again to get my name back up there to the top. So hopefully, keep watching, and it's going to be a good year for me. Absolutely, God willing, my friend. But listen, Gary, it's yeah. always my pleasure, brother. Uh, thank you for your time. Best of luck for June 30th in Belfast, and we'll catch up sometime yeah. after. All right, Jeremy, appreciate it for having me on the show. Okay, now it's time to conclude episode 139 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A big thank you to our two guests on this week's show, two former world title challengers, heavyweight Gerald Washington and welterweight Gary Corcoran. The Prediction League currently stands at myself on 41 points, I as on 45, and you, the listeners, on 46. There are also six points up for grabs this weekend also. So, while we've been recording this show, the Triple G versus Canelo rematch has been finalised and it will be taking place on September 15th at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Excellent news that that fight's finally going ahead and we will speak more in depth about that on next week's show. Once again, if you do get a chance, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes. Other than that, enjoy your weekends, people. Thank you all for listening and we will see you all next week.